Welcome to Historical AF. I'm Kina. I am a historian, and I'm normally joined by a special guest to deliver some historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This week was supposed to kick off Inventions Part 1, but I am going to push that until next week. If you follow the pod social media or my personal social media or TikTok, you probably already know, but Amber, who is a member of the Gigawater gang, she's been a part of the Patreon fam for a long time, and a dear friend of mine passed away this morning from COVID-19. Amber was one of the first people I met when I moved to Texas. She has just been a joy. She was so funny. Didn't even have to try to be funny. She was just hilarious. You know, that dark humor and that wit. It was it was beautiful and the sarcasm. She guested on some episodes. You might remember her from episode 81. She talked about Jazzland and Katrina. She had also sent in a listener story because she grew up in Ponchatoula and actually went to that church that they based True Detective on. So she had some really wild stories. I had been asking for prayers and for you to light a candle and to send all your love and good vibes for a while now. She was in the ICU for about three weeks, and I appreciate all the love, and I appreciate how this podcast family has really come together. I just have one more thing to ask of you. Sorry. If you could just keep it up just a little bit longer. Her partner, Joseph, also lost his dad this week. And it's just an unimaginable loss. He could just really, really use the love, okay? I know a lot of us in this community are hurting. And I'm sitting on my left to you, too. She was so active in the podcast community. There's... You've probably talked to her in some social media posts, or if you're in Patreon, you were watching the episodes live with her. If you were a guest, she was definitely in the live asking you questions and cracking jokes. She will be missed. So I'm sorry that there's not going to be an episode this week. I I just don't have it in me to, to do that. So instead, this is one of my personal favorite Rave or Rages from the Patreon on Artemisia Dudaleski. She is one of my favorite artists of all time, and I just really enjoyed talking about her. And if you're Patreon fam, I hope you don't mind me sharing the goods with everybody today. So I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to grieve. And I'll be back next week. We already recorded Inventions Part 1, and my guest were incredible. It was Thanks I Hate It podcast. We recorded that knowing that Amber had just been placed in critical condition. And so we dedicated that episode to her. So we we do mention a lot that we were hoping that when she woke up, she would like the episode. So I know it's kind of weird. I'm sorry. I'm crying so much. So I hope you enjoy this little change of pace. I I love art history, and I love talking about art history, so I I hope you like it. Again, thank you for everything, and thank you for just being such a great family. Okay, bye. Ruger, I'm trying to do a thing. What do you you need from me? This is is podcasting time. This This is not about you. Insert narrator voice. It was, in fact, about him.
Welcome, everybody, to Raver Rage. I am your host, Kina, and this is where I deep dive into a painting, and then I force my husband, Zeke, to guess what it is and whether or not I liked it. And if you ask him, it's against his will, but we don't listen to him. I'm just going to jump right in it. And I chose this month one of my favorite artists of all time because she brings me so much joy because she's so amazing and talented and nobody's ever heard of her. And I know I just spoiled it because I just said I loved her. So you're going to know that I love it. But you don't know. I mean, I could be ranting about something else later. I, I could shake it up. So this month, I decided to bless your ear holes with one of the coolest artists you've probably never heard of, Artemisia Jindaleski. With a name like that, you know you're going places, right? I just love that name so much. If I had a child, I have considered that as a name. Or maybe my next dog. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But today's painting is going to be Judith Beheading Holofernes. <sighs> Insert dramatic music. So, again, not only does she have one of the coolest names ever, I'd argue that she has the best version of this painting. This is a very well-known story from the Bible, and it's been depicted by so many artists throughout so many centuries, but we're going to get to that a little bit later. Artemisia's painting was completed in 1620. It is oil on canvas and is about 146.5 by 108 centimeters. In America, that's 57 by 43 inches. And that's almost five feet tall, so she big. The painting is currently in room 90 of the Uffizi, and fun fact, on the Uffizi's must-see art page, this painting is right next to The Birth of Venus by Botticelli and Raphael's Madonna. So your girl's not letting you down. This is a badass painting. As far as the style slash and or movement, it would be Italian Baroque, which is a stylistic period in Italian history and art that spanned from the 16th century to the early 18th century. Some of the qualities most frequently associated with the Baroque are grandeur, sensuous richness, drama, dynamism, movement, tension, emotional exuberance, and a tendency to blur distinctions between various artists. Once again, I don't think I can actually really describe this painting until you actually know a little bit about the artist. So here we go. Artemisia Gentileschi was born on July 8, 1593, in Rome to Prudentia Montone, which also, what a name, and Orazio Gentileschi, a well-known painter. Artemisia quickly showed an aptitude for art and began to learn from her father. So, in Renaissance Italy, most women had two choices you know, in life, and that's to get married or join a convent. So lots of options, ladies. I know it's a difficult decision. So many, so many things to choose from. So it's not shocking that this was not a very promising environment for a woman to become an artist or to even thrive as an artist. And they weren't able to even receive a formal art training. And I know I've mentioned that in the past that like women couldn't take naked people art. 
And that was a big deal because that was their formal training to paint people. You had to do the nude classes to get the anatomy right and all that. So women couldn't do that. And their only option was to either teach themselves or be taught by their fathers. So our girl really lucked out having an artist for a father who could teach her. And even with that training, there was a very high possibility that she'd be overlooked anyway. So the odds were not against her becoming an artist. Her dad, Orazio, was a friend of Caravaggio, and he was a very provocative painter in the forefront of the art scene in Rome. He became famous for the intense and unsettling realism of his large-scale religious works. And fun fact, he is known for his very own Judith and Holofernes painting, so the plot thickens. Together, Orazio and Caravaggio were once charged for writing slanderous graffiti on the streets of Rome about another painter. They seemed like a fun time. During the trial, Orazio told a story about Caravaggio visiting his house to borrow some angel wings, like you do. And this indicates that the great artist was friends with the Gentileschi family and suggests that the eldest daughter, Artemisia, would have met him. When Artemisia was 13, Caravaggio was implicated in a murder and forced to flee from Rome to Naples. And dude had a rap sheet for days. (laughs) He was arrested for carrying a sword without permit. He was sued for beating a man with a stick and accused of attacking another man with a sword. At least two of these incidents took place around two or three in the morning. (laughs) A rival painter, Baglione, also wants to accuse Caravaggio of hiring assassins to kill him. And there is some really juicy poetry out there, and it acts like a really mean social media post. (laughs) But I'll save that for when I cover Caravaggio. So either you're going to be on the edge of your seats or you're going to go to the Google machine right now. Either way, I'm okay with that. All right, so shit's about to get real dark, and uh, you've been warned. In 1611... Horacio was hired to decorate the Palazzo Pallavicini Rospilagosi, <laughs> I'm so sorry, in Rome, alongside another painter, Agostino Tassi. Hoping to help the 17-year-old Artemisia to refine her painting technique, Horacio hired this Tassi dude to tutor her. Unfortunately, the tutoring sessions gave him one-on-one access to Artemisia, and during one of the sessions, he raped her. It should also be mentioned at this time that her mother had passed away a couple years prior, so it was just her and her dad, and that had to have been very difficult, too. In 1612, Orazio accused Tossi of raping his daughter, as well as tricking her out of a painting from his studio. He surprisingly filed charges, but no, he did not do this to valiantly defend his daughter's honor. He sued for property damages because his daughter lost her virtue and he couldn't marry her off for money. I can feel my blood boiling right now. I need to get my blood pressure down, guys. I can't be. Oh, man, people suck. So the resulting trial lasted seven months, and it shocked Rome. It was like, I guess in our lifetimes, O.J. Simpson trial. Everybody knew about it. Everybody was keeping track of everything, and everybody had a side. She became sort of a celebrity in the worst way possible. But surprisingly, the most amazing part of this is that every word of this court case has survived the test of time. 
Gentileschi speaks to us from this 400-year-old document with a voice that is so eloquent, courageous, and compelling. It is a rare example of a woman in the pre-modern era taking a stance against the oppression that was part of day-to-day life at this time. So a quick warning, the next few paragraphs are going to be graphic quotes from her testimony, but I think it's really important because it shows... (laughs) Ruger, this is serious, buddy. This is very serious. So as you can imagine, in 1600s, women didn't necessarily stand up for themselves very often. So I wanted to include her words because I find them so incredibly powerful. This is from the testimony. Tossie tricked his way into her room and started making unwanted offers of sex. Oh, this is going to get sad. Okay. She testified, quote, He then threw me on the edge of the bed, pushing me with his hand on my breast, and he put his knee between my thighs to prevent me from closing them. Lifting my clothes, he placed his hand with a handkerchief on my mouth to keep me from scraping. She fought back. She said she scratched his face. She pulled his hair. And before he tried to rape her again, she grasped his penis so tight that it actually removed pieces of flesh. Afterwards, she rushed to a drawer near her and got out a knife and yelled, I like to kill you with this knife because you have dishonored me. He opened up his coat and said, here I am. So she threw the knife, but he shielded himself last minute. Otherwise, she said, I might have killed him. The trial also featured months of witness examinations. Friends, tenants, artists, and relatives built up a picture of Gentileschi's household. She is portrayed as a teenager who spent all her time painting, rarely going out. As for this dickbag racist, he came off even worse than they initially thought. Several witnesses claimed that he had murdered his first wife, and he offered no good defense as to where she went. Yet Gentileschi was humiliated and physically assaulted in court. Midwives physically examined Gentileschi in front of a judge, who then demanded that her hands be tortured in order to see if she changed her story under pressure. (sighs) Again, my blood pressure is so high, (laughs) just even thinking about this poor girl. She's a child. It's bad enough to be assaulted, but then to be paraded in front of people you don't know and humiliated on top of that, it's just something, it's unimaginable. And even though every single bit of evidence pointed that Tossie was a terrible human being and guilty of so many, so many things, he went to jail for just a tiny, tiny fraction of a time and then was set free. Why, you might ask? He was protected by the Pope because he liked his art, which, by the way, is forgotten today. But he thought it was pretty good at the time. Everybody, and I mean everybody in Rome, knew that this guy was literally the worst and guilty of so much more than they even brought up in court. But the quote said, Quote, Tassi is the only one of these artists who has never disappointed me. Pope Innocent the 10th. So you know which person to put on your fuck you list. He says all other artists pretended to be men of honor, but they all let him down. I would like to question who you think is honorable, Pope. Yeah, I said it. I know you're Pope, but I'm not Catholic, so I don't feel like I should have to suffer any consequences for that. Moving on, Gentileschi, still a teenager when the trial ended, was shamed in a culture where honor was everything. Yet, it also provided a kind of monstrous publicity for her. Gentileschi, who was 17 at the time, refused to let this ordeal define her. 
When her hands healed, she joined the Academia de Art de Dissingo. I don't know how to speak Italian. Designo Florence, becoming the first woman to attend and painted for patrons in Venice, Naples, and London, where she was sought out by King Charles I. Ever heard of him? And she was taking revenge with the only weapon she had, a paintbrush. She could not write her story because, as was revealed in the trial, she was more or less illiterate, but she could paint it and change its ending as her paintings of Judith and Holofernes show. So if you don't know the biblical story here, I'm going to give you a quickie rundown. As the ancient story recounts, a Syrian king, Nebuchadnezzar, which is a fun word to say, sent his general Holofernes to besiege the Jewish city of Bethulia. Judith, described as a beautiful young widow, resolves to save her people by slaying Holofernes herself. After reciting a long prayer to God, she dons her finest clothes in order to seduce him. After he's had a few drinks of that wine, he becomes a little too intoxicated. And then Judith decapitates him with her own sword, winning a decisive victory for the Israelites. Now, Gentileski brings out an element of this biblical story no male artist had ever depicted before. In most paintings, including Caravaggio's, Judith has a servant who's waiting behind her to collect the severed head. But Gentileski makes a servant a strong young woman who actively participates in the killing. This does two things. It adds to this savage realism that even Caravaggio never thought of. It would take two women to kill this douchebag. But it also gives a scene of a revolutionary implication. What if women got together? Could we fight back against the world that's ruled by men? Artemisia also depicts Judith in the act of killing Holofernes, and this is huge. One of the earliest depictions is anonymous from the early 16th century, and it shows the moment after the murder, when the ladies, who look really bored by the way, are stuffing the head in a bag. Artemisia's dad, Orazio, had a version that shows the head already removed, and the ladies are looking in opposite directions, like, what the fuck was that? Like, they heard a noise, but on opposite sides of the room, so... I don't get that one. I will have pictures of all these on attached to this, but that one I don't get. If you hear a noise, you're all going to look in the same directions. Orazio, what are you doing? What are you doing, sir? Another painting by Cristofano Alluri also shows Judith holding the head, gracefully tiptoeing away with her servant behind her like, what just happened? <laughs> Giorgione shows just Judith with the head, again, no body. But uh, she's outside this time and she's stomping on his forehead, but she has this like scantily clad slip dress thing going on. So that's new. Botticelli shows her leaving the tent with the head, but with this weird Botticelli alien looking body and his head is like a shrunken head because it's like a third of the size of her head. We all know that Botticelli has never given one single fuck about proportions, So that makes sense. And she also looks pregnant in this painting. Botticelli did another painting that was a little closer to, you know, actual human proportions. Shocking, I know. And it looks like they're kind of skipping away. Servant has this head and a basket on her head, you know, like you do. Now we're at the Caravaggio and he has a servant behind Judith holding the bag with this really grumpy face being like, just get it over with already, Lainey. Let's do this. And Judith looks really grossed out. Like, she doesn't want to do it, and she looks like she's barely touching his throat. There's a little bit of blood, and then this dude's face looks shocked. 
I know I had a lot to drink, but what the fuck's going on? <laughs> In this list, there are a whole lot of Judas that aren't really committed to this actual beheading thing. They look really grossed out, or they look really unimpressed, or they look really just like they have no idea what's actually going on. And then here comes Artemisia, like, hold my beer, bitches. She is the first one to really think through the logistics of overpowering a grown man to hack his head off while he's alive and drunk flailing. The servant, who is actually quite beautiful and young and not an old hag like all these other paintings, which... That's a rant for another time why women are always depicted as old, wrinkly hags. But uh, anyway, she is not holding back impatiently like some of those paintings. She's not just hanging in the corner with a bag like, let's, let's go. Give me the head. She's holding that fucker down. And they are putting muscle into it. You can see the creases in their wrist showing the power that they're using to hold him down. And in, like, Caravaggio's version, Holofernes has these big bulging muscles. His face looks anguished, and he's shocked and just like, oh, no, don't chop off my head. Well, this version, Artemisia makes him a little scrawny. You don't see defined muscles. And in her version, his face doesn't look really shocked or mad. This dude kind of looks like, "Mm, yeah, this checks out. I probably deserve this. But on the other hand, the girls' faces are so concentrated and so determined. They've even rolled up their sleeves like they're ready to work. There's even blood spurting all over her, and she is giving zero fucks. And also about the blood, it's in the foreground, and it's the closest to the viewer's space. So in art history terms, Ruger's very talkative today. I'm sorry. So in our history turns, like having something like that in the viewer space is put there intentionally to make you uncomfortable. Yes, Artemisia. Yes. And another fun fact is that one of the cameos that's on Judas' bracelet appears to depict Artemis, the ancient goddess of both chastity and the hunt. So a lot of scholars argue that Artemisia identified with the protagonist of this story in a way that her male counterparts could not. This association stems not only from their shared gender, but also from Artemisia's own traumatic experience. Taking all that in consideration, it makes perfect sense that the cameo is kind of a nod to her seeing herself as Judith and seeing Holofernes as her rapist. She's able to use her art to express her pain, and I can't imagine how incredibly cathartic and therapeutic this must have been. And I honestly think this is why this is the most powerful of these paintings, because she is relating to her on a level that nobody else possibly could have. Judith was likely either commissioned by or gifted to the Medici family in Florence. They were the ruling family at the time. The same family that commissioned Donatello's famous bronze sculpture of Judith and Holofernes in the 15th century. So, fun fact. In the late 18th century, though, disgusted by the horror of the scene, the Medici Duchess at the time banished this masterpiece to a dark corner of the Uffizi, where it remained until the late 20th century. To this day, it strikes its viewers with both revulsions and awe at the skill of an artist who so convincingly transformed paint into blood. Real quick, what happened to her after this painting? 
Despite the horrific rape, her and her family held on to a hope that he would actually marry her because it was the 16th century and he had taken her virginity and they viewed her as ruined. I can't even imagine the trauma and disgust she had to have felt during this time thinking that she had to marry her rapist. I only add that because if you do any research on your own, it's a lot of people kind of nonchalantly like, oh, he raped her and then she was like, let's get married. And it wasn't like that at all. It was she felt she had no other choice. Oh, it's just so bad. So Gentileschi did marry a painter from Florence named Pietro Antonio V. Vicenzo Staziazzi. I need to learn Italian. With her new husband, she relocated to Florence. The couple had one child, a daughter, who actually survived to adulthood. Their union was not a happy one, but it gave her an opportunity to flourish as an artist. In Florence, Gentileschi enjoyed a patronage of Cosimo de' Medici, the Grand Duke of Tuscany, among others. Later in 1627, she received a commission from King Philip IV of Spain. And then Gentileschi befriended many artists, writers, and thinkers of the time, including famed astronomer Galileo. That's a name drop. By 1630, Gentileschi had settled in Naples. Around this time, she painted one of her best-known self-portraits, called Self-Portrait as the Allegory of Painting. A short time later, in 1635, she completed another religious-themed work, The Birth of St. John the Baptist. And then around 1639, she traveled to England to work with her father. He had been commissioned by Queen Henrietta Maria, wife of King Charles I, to create a series of paintings for her home in Greenwich. Gentileschi continued to paint for the rest of her days, but many experts conclude that her best works were completed in her early career. She died in Naples around 1652. During her lifetime, she managed to do the unheard of. She thrived in a male-dominated field as a woman. Today, she remains an inspiration not only to the powerful artwork she left behind, but for her ability to overcome the limits and prejudices of the time. So even today, top 10 list, best women in the Baroque era, she is in the top five. So she is a amazing woman. So, Raver Range. <laughs> oh, I might have to rethink this title because so far I've only raged about one thing. But if you can't tell already, I absolutely love Artemisia Gentileschi and I love this painting. And honestly, Judith and Holofernes biblical story doesn't really resonate with me and also very bloody broke paintings also don't really resonate with my favorite paintings i think it's the fact that artemisia is essentially painting herself as judith and she's exacting justice on her rapist and it's this almost sense where you can see in the painting her kind of releasing that trauma kind of getting the justice I think she did not get since he got let go. And I think that's the part that I like the most. I like that she did something different from everybody. I like the fact that almost every painting of this scene shows after the fact or right before. And it's always her questioning, oh, should I do this? Or afterwards, we don't actually see the scene. In Artemisia chose the exact moment she's killing him. She's in the act. She's forcefully doing it. And it's very powerful. It's also just a really good painting. She, for not having formal training and not having that study of anatomy and stuff, her proportions are very impressive. The coloring is beautiful. You can definitely see the Caravaggio 
influence of that time because it's a very uh, contrasting of the light and darks. And you'll see when you look at it. It's very impressive. And I honestly like hers way better than like the Caravaggio one. But I also feel like Caravaggio's makes the women look really weak. So not a big fan of that. (laughs) Now I want to rage. So in case you wanted to know what happened to that fuck stick Tossie. After the seventh month rape trial, it was discovered that he planned to murder his wife. He had committed incest with his sister-in-law and planned to steal one of Orazio's paintings. At the end of the trial, he was in prison for two years. His verdict was later annulled and he was freed in 1613 because, of course, he fucking did. And what he did to her and what he took from her is... Obviously, in her early works, there's a lot of scenes like a woman bathing and then a lot of times in the Baroque period, there are people far away looking at women bathing. It was a really creepy thing people did in Baroque times. I don't know. Do better, Baroque people. Anyway, and her version's different. The woman is kind of revolted and curling into herself away from the men and they're kind of hovering over her. So the voyeurism is in your face and it's uncomfortable and it's gross. And that's the point. You know, don't be a creep. Don't stare at people in the bushes because in reality, this is what you look like. You know, you can hide, but you're still the creep standing over somebody making her scared. I really like her putting that out there because somebody else was really, let's say it, brave enough to put that out there and show women being vulnerable and scared, and just frankly, pretty grossed out by you being a creeper. So don't creep. Don't do that. In a way, I hope Artemisia felt like she got some sort of justice because he kind of faded from the limelight. Today, nobody knows who the fuck he is or nobody cares. And he never gave him this notoriety he thought he deserved. Like He thought he was better than the law. He thought he was better than everything because he thought he was so fucking talented, which he was not. And I hope that he's rolling in his goddamn grave right now because Artemisia is a renowned artist. She is known as one of the greatest masters of the Baroque period and all he's known as her rapist. So if you go to the Google machine and put his name in, the first sentence says convicted rapist of Artemisia Gentileschi. So fuck that guy and fuck everybody at the trial and in fact, that Pope that defended him and uh, that ended on a fun note. So I'm going to go get seek and see what he thinks. <laughs> okay, it's not about you. Yes, it is. It's his turn. Are you ready? Murray's ready. <laughs> Ruger's ready. Everybody's ready. Okay. All right. Ready. Go. go. Oh, man. What, what do we got going on here? All right. Oh, wait. No, that's a sword. Yeah. I did not think that was a sword. Explain what you were seeing. A bunch of wenches cutting this dude's head off. Or, like, stabbing him in the throat. One of the two. No, they're chopping his head off. Oh, man. One looks like a handmaiden. Mm-hmm. The other one looks like some type of roy- royalty-ish knew him, came up with the whole thing. The other one's an accomplice. She is an accomplice, but it's the story of Judith and Holofernes from the Bible. Whoa. Like Nebuchadnezzar's general, so she goes and chops his head off to save her people, the oh, Israelites. Man. When do you think it was done? 1732 and a half. Super close, 1620. Yeah, 
couple hundred years. No big deal. I mean, but that old, that's all close. Any clue who it is? It's just a number at this point. Nope. Do you think it's a man or a woman painted it? Woman. Oh, why do you think that? Because I like it. (laughs) This is supposed to be me answering these questions, but yes. Want to guess who you think did it? Um, I believe when we come to this, we're going to have to have a select a choice. A, B, C, or D. Okay. A, Sofinispa Angisola. Two. B. <laughs> a. Artemisia Gentileschi. Nope. A. C. I'm all, I've already chosen A. C. I've already chosen A. C. See, now you're thinking of something that's not. So I know that's not it. Also, that was B. A was not because it was instantaneous. D doesn't even have to come out. Boom! I tricked you. It was B. No. Artemisia Gentileschi. No, really. For real. Artemisia Gentileschi's... Tell me of Artemisia Gentileschi. Artemisia Gentileschi. Yeah. She's a badass. Why would I ever know who that is? <sighs> She's a badass. <laughs> so this painting's been done. History's written by the winners. Well, the fun fact is that she lost a lot in her life, and this was like her revenge painting. Mm-hmm. So this painting's been done like a gazillion times, and it's usually just like a dude missing a head, or like a head in a bag. And they're like, what? And they're looking in different directions for a noise. Or just, you know, head. Oh, man. Just casually tiptoeing away. This one was like, they were all up in the grill. Like, <laughs> in the moment. She's just stomping on the head. She's waltzing away. So all these are the same story. Uh-huh. And that was somebody she knew. So his is similar, but she looks all grossed out. And then it's like an old hag being like, I have a bag. Put the head in there. but this one's different because it's like you need two of you to hold down a man right he's all muscly kind of i mean not when his head's being chopped off i mean he's drunk but he would still flail maybe but they have like the sleeves rolled up their faces are all concentrated like they are there to get shit done everybody else is like ew no blood so her version is very powerful Man, I'm starting to get a a feel for like a, a genre that you like. <laughs> Women murdering their significant others. That's not a significant other. She's saving her people. Mark my words. <laughs> no. Can't put that on the internet. Then people will use it against me. Help me. <laughs> You guys wouldn't turn me in, right? Anyhow. Google knows. She had a rough life. She was raped by an artist, a friend of her dad's. And then her dad took him to court, not because he raped his daughter, but because property damage, because he couldn't marry her off for money. Man. And then they, like, beat her and did all kinds of stuff in court to make her confess otherwise. So this was, like, the revenge painting. That's her rapist's face. And then she's wearing her... I don't feel that that type of sword would be the sword that you would use to chop someone's head off, though. Probably not, but it's the one from the story. Scientifically speaking. 
take that up with the Bible, because that's what the Bible said. Yeah, and it could. However, there's this show on Discovery Channel, something about forged in fire, mm-hmm. and they would have something to say about that sort. <laughs> Not scientifically accurate. Well, then write them a strongly worded letter. Hmm. Hmm. I can't. They're dead. (laughs) What? Your person who made this painting is dead. I can't. That's true. I thought you meant the forging and fire, guys. This is my life. (laughs) Any any final thoughts? Pretty cool. I mean, it's a bloody one this time. Starting to get a theme. There's no theme. There should be a theme. There's a theme. Help me. Oh, you're fine. Oh, boo-hoo. My laundry magically gets done and I get my breakfast served to me. There's a funny uh, TikTok where they're like, where's your husband? Oh, he's in the garden. And they're like, I didn't see him. And then she's like, you might have to dig a little. (laughs) Help. Please help. (laughs) Okay, bye. Say goodbye. Goodbye!